You're listening to the Gateway Christian Church Beckley Campus Podcast. To find out more about the church, visit our website at gatewaychristianchurch.net. Let's get into this week's message. You know, we're in the third week of this series, Don't Give Up. And uh, I tell you, I don't know about you all, but it is getting harder and harder sometimes where you just feel like you just want to throw in the towel. And I'm not talking anything on political spectrums. I'm not even talking about the virus. I just think that the church, Christians, are, are under attack. Um, and, and, and not only are we under attack spiritually uh, from all sides, it's just, it's just getting harder to develop your walk with Jesus. And I think this psalm has been perfectly timed. The Psalm 73 that we've been learning from Asaph, who was the worship leader uh, of the Israelites. And kind of just give a quick recap of our first two weeks. Remember, um, I'm, I'm right past the scripture here, uh, Karen, if you want to know where I'm at. He just kind of, he couldn't make sense of what God was doing in the world. And I can't tell you how many Christ followers I'm talking to on a daily basis that are struggling with that. And like, man, what is God really trying to do? And when he got real honest, he couldn't even make sense what God was doing in his own life, if you remember. And, and he got personal with him. You know, this wasn't just a, a struggle that he saw others dealing with. It was a struggle that he um, was struggling with. And, and ultimately, when you read this psalm, he can't even make sense um, what, what God was not only doing in his own life, but what was the point of pursuing a godly life? If it's going to be this difficult, why do it? And then we're reminded in verse 15. You remember what he says in verse 15? He says, surely in vain, I kept my pure heart and I've washed my hands of in innocence. He felt like, man, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to. You know, this man of faith, worship leader for probably his entire life, he became worship leader in his 20s and led the Israelites in worship to God for, you know, over four decades, most likely. And, and this man of faith was ready to throw in the towel. And so out of that first part of this psalm, we learn a very important lesson that we need to stop. And what did we stop? We stopped all the negativity that was flowing on in our life. Um, we stopped thinking negative thoughts. If it meant turning off the TV, if it meant putting down social media for a while, you just needed to stop because your mind was being flooded with so many negative things. And not only was Asa feeling this way, the people were feeling this way. So down in verse uh, 15, he says, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. He says, this wouldn't only affected me. If I really got up when we were leading in worship and said, you know, life stinks and this is terrible, it would have affected the generation that just got up to go study with Scotty. So parents, grandparents, we, we can't be the ones who are ready to throw in the towel because it's not only that your life's dependent on this stance that you're taking for Christ, their lives are, are examples and they're, they're mirrors of what they see going in a home. And if you remember last week, so the first thing we were told was to stop. What was the second thing we were told to do? Think. You know, think. You know, every action that we do causes us to think. And so before we started in this five-point turn, we've stopped. And our second point there, we're thinking. And what should we think about? And notice what he says in verse 16. He said, when I tried to understand all of this, it deeply troubled me till I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood their final destiny. Getting back into the house of God, he understood some things. 
And we've seen people wanting to get back into the house of God. And so we challenge you to have this thought process, if you remember. The thought process was the presence of God. Do you all remember that? We need to have the presence of God. And then we needed to remember the promise of God. And then we talked about the provision of God that God always provides for us. And finally, we got to the very last one last week is the protection of God. Now, I know that's a lot of recap, what we've done last couple of weeks. But again, I want you to keep in mind this five-point term. Stop, think, and what are we going to talk about today? Confess. Now, I was back there um, usually greeting uh, folks as they're coming in and, and get to enjoy worship from back there. And I, I heard Karen say something very poignant about what confession is. And I want you to keep that thought of what she said to you this morning as we go through this message. You know, but when we think about the word confess and what it means, I mean, this is a little confession joke. I mean, I think you need to kind of start off a little lighthearted before we get in something this heavy. Um, this little girl uh, walked into the confession at church and said, ouch, that's a terrible joke, okay? I, she confessed that it hurt. You know, all I can think of this morning, I know it's so bad. Thank you for the courtesy line. Um, I could think of Ridge this morning, Taylor, you remember when Ridge was up here? This, well, I was like, this joke's coming, and Ridge just walked into this TV stand, fell, and then he cried for like three real cries, and then he looked and see if we were going to react, and we didn't, and he just stopped, all right? So I'll just stop on that terrible joke right there. But here's one that's a little bit longer for you. A dying man uh, wants to, uh, he wanted to prevent his family from getting all of his money. He was a very rich man. So he entrusted his three closest friends a doctor, a priest, and a lawyer. He needed new friends, first of all, if those are your three closest friends, right? But anyways, he entrusted each one of them with a million dollars cash. And he said, now when I die, I'm gonna give you a million dollars in this envelope. You're gonna come to my casket and I want my kids to get it. And I want you to stick those envelopes back in my casket. He said, I'm trusting you guys to do this. And so later he, he passes away and he comes, uh, they all come to the funeral, and the doctor says, gentlemen, I confess that my envelope did not have the full million dollars in it. Last winter, the hospital badly needed to buy a new dialysis machine, and it cost $50,000. And I thought Bob would have proved it, so it will save countless lives. I remember that one. Then the priest says, I have a confession as well. My envelope did not have the full million dollars in it. Um, he says, uh, the orphanage badly needed repairs, which cost $60,000. And, and he said, I know that Bob wouldn't mind. So he stuck his envelope minus the $60,000. Then the lawyer speaks up and says, gentlemen, I'm ashamed of each one of you. He says, that was Bob's dying wish and you couldn't obey it. He said, I assure you, my envelope contains the check for the full million dollars. Now, I know that's a terrible, a little bit longer joke, but he had a confession to make there. All right, so, you know, that's one that you can share or not to share. But I wanted to assure you the first thing here this morning, that confession is a normal part of the Christian life. It should be. When we're talking about confession, I think we get this idea that the word carries, like confession is, you know, oh no, I've messed up again, and our heads hang down. But I want you to get this visual, and I kind of use this through the sermon. When we're talking about confession, it's, a, it's the ability to be able to raise our head, look God squarely in the eye. That's what I think confession is. Because if we don't confess, 
what was going on in our life. We all kind of walk around like we're, I don't know, how do you say it, that we've cheated on our homework. <laughs> you know, when you turn your paper into the teacher and you know you didn't do your work, that's for the kids, unless some of you still write papers, all right? Or it's like when you drive past the police officer and you know you're going 10-ish <laughs> over the speed limit and he pulls up to you at the stoplight and you look over, what do you immediately do? You drop your head, don't you? Don't we do that? Don't we even do that with friends? And you know, one of the number one ways that they can, that people that study people can tell if someone's lying, you know what they, number one way? They won't look somebody in the eye. And I want you to think about that and keep that visual as I talk about these points that today we're going to talk about the five point uh, in this five point turn of being able not to give up. The first thing we got to do is we got to stop, we got to think, and then finally we got to confess. Before we get turned around and turn back to God, we need to say, hey, God, this is some of the stuff that's going on in my life. You know, in Asaph's confession to God, he, he was trying to live a godly life, even though others weren't, and it was frustrating him. And as he practiced this confession, what you're going to see is his, his mind and his heart start to be stirred, and he says, wait a second. It's so easy for me to point out what everyone else is doing, but I've got to take a real good hard look at myself. I don't think mirrors were very, uh, uh, available much in their society uh, that Asaph lived in, but I tell you, uh, there's a saying that's true. A mirror doesn't lie, does it? You know, you know, you can suck it in all you want, but you walk past that mirror and that mirror says, <laughs> you know. Um, have you ever taken your animal, uh, whether it's a cat or a dog, and for the first time and show its reflection in the mirror and see what it does? Uh, I highly advise you not to do that with a German shepherd. But, uh, but anyways, uh, you know, they, they kind of freak out. They're like, whoa, 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 what's this? You know, the Greek philosopher Socrates, I'm sorry, every time I see Socrates, I have to say his name that. Where's my Bill, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures people? Nobody in this room? Thank you. Did you get the Socrates? Okay, thank you so much. All right, every time I see the word Socrates, I have to say Socrates. But anyways, Socrates said it this way. He says, an unexamined life is not worth living. Think about that. He's, he's right on that. Not that we buy in uh, to everything Socrates has to say over the Bible, but what he's saying is you've really got to take an honest look sometimes. And after a seasoning of questioning in God, Asaph, in this psalm, he began to examine his own life. And then began to think more clearly, and it started to understand the bigger picture. He started to see his own sin and his own soul more clearly. When that light of truth comes upon you in your life, you'll be able to see light clearer. You know, I told you about my good friend, George, uh, uh, who was the custodian at the Guyandot Church of Christ when I served up there uh, just outside of Huntington. And I knew if I stayed the minister there very long, how I would die because George was always packing and he, was, he had a hair trigger and number one, and number two, he couldn't hear. So literally, when I'd come in the church building and I'd hear the sweeper, I would start yelling, George, it's Russ, I'm here. Because one day, I came up the steps and I just walked around close by him and he went, oh boy, and pulled that pistol. And I had to duck behind the wall and said, George, it's me. 
But I knew George in his 80s would just mow me down. And I told him one day, I said, wouldn't you feel bad if you shot and killed me? And he said, you're a preacher. They'll make more. That's what he said to me. So, but George, one night in Bible study, he was, we were really getting down into the word of God. And we got to this idea of confession. He said, I'm going to stop you right there. And then George didn't say much in church. And he didn't even raise his hand and say this. I'm going to stop you right there, preacher. He said, you think you're telling me that Jesus is like me? He says, Jesus is nothing like me. He said, he was a man, the Bible says, without sin. And he said, preacher, I'm, I'm not like that at all. And here's the thing that is so true about this idea of confession, that when you're truly honest with God of who you are, and guess what? He already knows this already. It allows you to be completely honest. And what you're going to find is the closer you get to God, the more that you find that there's stuff inside of you that's not right. And that's not a bad thing. Because again, when we're held to society, when we think of confession, only confessing our sins, well, I'm going to confess what I've done, but have you seen what all y'all done? (laughs) That's who we compare ourselves to. We don't compare ourselves to the holy, perfect son of God who walked on this earth, who died on the cross for our sins. We compare ourselves to the most vile offenders. And so we're not truly honest when we're being honest when it comes to this reality that here's what confession ultimately does. It exposes what is hidden inside of a heart. That's what confession does. It exposes what's inside of us. I know that you all have Tanya and I probably on a pedestal in our marriage, and it is perfect as long as I do everything she wants to do, right? All right, but but there are... But there are moments, even when, uh, you know, Tanya in her glory sets off her halo, and I put my halo down, and sometimes we go at it. Anybody else have that in their marriage? I mean, maybe that, maybe you want to go find a church that the preacher doesn't talk to you like that. But uh, there are moments that if, if we're honest with ourselves, that they're not always the most beautiful things that Jesus is looking down on a husband and wife. And we had one of those moments in the near uh, recent past, like this morning. No, no, it wasn't, this, it wasn't this morning. But we've had one of those moments recently, and we had to look at each other and say, you know, I almost wanted to bring the Bible out. Ephesians 5, submit to me. Uh, you know, you almost get bowed up in the back. You're to submit. You're to respect your husband. And, and, and then she's always real quick on saying, yeah, but 521 says submit to one another in reverence for Christ. That just like that. That's exactly how. Hey, Asaph, I got this. <laughs> but that's exactly how she says it. Something like that. But you know, and I'm not going to get into. But at at those at those moments, and then it's just like, did that just come out of my mouth? Anybody else have those moments? And then what we do is we try to hide it. Or we try to hide from God. Not even the harsh words that came out of their mouth, but what other sins are we trying to hide from God? Do you remember Adam and Eve? After they ate the fruit? What were they doing when God walked through in the, in the evening? They were hiding. Why were they hiding? They were ashamed. And if there's one thing that I think we've lost in our culture, is a sense of shame. So when we talk about the word confession, 
it's hard to relate to people who feel like they've never done anything wrong. Or there's nothing that they've done is shameful. Because here's the excuse. They never said, well, I'm like God. They'll say this excuse. Well, I'm just human. Notice Psalm 73. When Asaph specifically confessed, I think this is so helpful for us today that we find ourselves in a similar position, questioning God, questioning his goodness, questioning his sovereignty. And Asaph said this in verse 21. When my heart, what? Grieved. Maybe, yeah, that's what it says. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. And when's the last time you had a prayer like that with God? When your heart is grieved, there are some real temptations because you're laid vulnerable that we need to be aware of. When you find yourself grieving your heart to this level and what is going on in the world, you'll probably find yourself susceptible to this, the same thing that Asaph did. What were they? The first one, it's right in this verse. He said, man, my spirit was embittered. If you're really going to grieve in your heart like this, you're going to find that your spirit is embittered. Now, that sounds like an English word of a grieved heart and a bittered spirit is one condition, but it's not. We all know that we can have a grieved heart without a bittered spirit. And I'm suggesting that the first he's confessing his sin, he allowed himself to get bitter, not better. When When you're really grieved, and if you're really trying to expose yourself to God, If you're not careful, you're so vulnerable at that moment, Satan will come in and he will create a bitter heart in you. Can I give you an example? It's not a proud example. I know my grandmother grieved over this, but I may have shared this with you before, that her and her sister, something happened that they didn't speak to each other for 20 years. And when she was near passing from this life to the next life, You know what she brought up in those last few days? Her sister. Her heart was grieved for a long time, and she was bitter. You know, maybe you are sitting here today right now, and you've got a friend or a family member that whatever has happened has happened for a long, long time. And you know, and you will convince yourself of this. Not only can you get grieved and get bitter, but you'll convince yourself that the other person's at fault. And then you'll say, well, I didn't have anything to do with that. Let me tell you one of the phrases my grandfather instilled in taught me as a young person, and I still believe it every single day today. No matter how thin the board is, boy, it always has two sides. What he means by that is whatever has happened, whatever relationship challenge has happened, there's two sides of every story. And really, when you're looking at this issue, there's two sides of the story of this word confession. There's God's side, and then there's ours. And if you're not careful, your heart will become, and your spirit will become embittered. And notice what else he says a heart that is ruled in the head. And he says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, look at verse 22, I was senseless and ignorant. 
So when you get down to this point that you're really wanting to get honest and open with God, you got to be careful that you don't become bitter. And you also got to be very aware not to get stupid. That's what he just said. I was senseless and ignorant. And it's because you're vulnerable. You're like, I'm really trying to get close to God. And, and, and now I start seeing stuff and, and I look at these people that have been in my life and I'm bitter towards them. Or you might even do something that's senseless. You ever do something, have you ever done something so irrational when you were upset? Yeah, me either. I'm perfect as well. I mean, all the time. I mean, supposedly we're getting back into basketball season. And, you know, this mask that I had to wear on the sidelines yesterday as a parent cheering on my child, it didn't help the words that were coming out because I could get passionate about basketball. I can get really, and, and I was like, I got a mask on, but it didn't stop me from saying, hey, ref, you need some glasses or something like that. Have you, okay, I'm the only one that's ever done that. All right, I'm just going to put the microphone down and all you people are better than me. Listen. When emotions rule our head, that's what he's talking about. Where did, was the grieving happen? Did it happen in his head? No, it happened in his heart. It happened right, way down here in his soul. Remember, if you're not willing to confess, you won't make eye contact with people, right? We've already established that. If you're, like I said, if you're speeding, <laughs> isn't that an awful feeling when you pass a cop and you're speeding? <laughs> and you're like, and then how many of you do this? I know you do this. If you get away with it, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Were you thanking Jesus if he pulled you over? Finally, look at this. Asaph also had to be careful of impulsive behavior. This, these two verses are huge. When my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Impulsive behavior. What does this mean that he was a brute beast? It means he was working out kings and ideas with his big muscles. <laughs> he was talking about impulsive behavior. And this is the difference in humans and wild animals, supposedly. I mean, have you ever noticed this? Humans can think about things, reason with others in peaceful ways. But a German shepherd puppy? does not reason, <laughs> does not think. It just does. I, I really think we gave him the wrong name in the first week. We should have called him Sprinkler because, I mean, this dog just goes and goes, but he's doing better. Uh, but you have, it's a learned behavior. Listen, are we any different than the wild beast? You know, can you stop your anger? Because the Bible doesn't tell us not to get angry. It says, in your anger... Sin not. You ever tried that <laughs> when you're angry? You ever tried that in those moments when, when Tanya took off her halo and I took off my halo and we start saying angry things? Eventually, someone's got to say, stop. But this is what Asaph is saying in the psalm. And in these two verses are powerful. He says, my heart was grieved. My spirit was embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. I was saying stupid things. I was doing stupid things. And then he says, I was a brute beast before you. I was very impulsive. You know, in the middle of this pandemic, <laughs> in the time of all the upheaval and unrest in American culture right now, 
This describes every American in the country. You can't even tell somebody, hey, it's a beautiful day. Yeah, but did you hear what Biden did? Man, look at this. This is, look at God's creation. Yeah, but did you see what Trump did? You can't even give someone a compliment. Your hair looks nice today. Yeah, you want to fight? <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's where we're at today. And, and, and I believe in Asaph's time, remember, the nation of Israel is being torn into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, which he is living in, which he is writing worship songs in. And I see today, I see homes being torn. I see families being torn. I see a nation being torn. I see people being separated. I see all of this stuff. And I'm like, God, you knew in advance that we needed this psalm for such a time like this. So Asaph confessed these things before God. Notice he said, look, my heart, he didn't say their heart was grieving. He didn't say their spirit was embittered. He said mine. Notice the, the, the possessive nature of this. I was senseless. I was a brute beast. You know, he's getting down there to it. And this is the thing when we talk about confession, you can't kind of confess to God. And you know what I'm saying? I, I could confess for Taylor, you know, but that doesn't work either. I could confess for Don, but that doesn't really work. I could really confess for Jetpack. I, I might get a long way on that one. But my point I'm trying to make is, you, I can't confess for someone else. You can't confess for your children. You can't confess for your wife. But you know what? You know what is sad is going on in our culture right now? Look at the number of people who are apologizing for someone else. Well, it's not the kid's fault. He had a bad childhood. It's not this person's fault. He had a bad environment or she had a bad environment to grow in. It's not your problem. And, you know, we, we excuse. Well, these kids, you know, they're failing. They're, they're schooling. But if they were just being able to get back to school, they would pass. Still, your child is the one that's not doing the work. Mine's not. And I'm ready to pop his little head off. But I'm, when, we, when we have the meeting with the teachers, I'm not, I didn't say, well, you know, you all did this, or you all did this, or the school system laid him down. I said, he's 15 years old. He's responsible for doing his own work. And if he doesn't do it, and one of them said, well, if he doesn't get his grades up, he won't be able to play basketball. I said, who cares? He did it to himself. And here's the other thing that goes on in our society. We not only want to apologize for someone else, but we cast blame on others. Right? When you get pulled over for doing seven over, the first thing that comes out of your mouth is, like, well, I'm going to be late for work. That's the only reason I speed. No, you have a habit. If we put this little sensor in your car, you're always going seven over. <laughs> you're not always late. And if you are, we need to talk to you. You need to be the adult. I mean, that's the word that we toss around. I'm going to be the adult, so I'm going to uh, actually put on makeup and go to the store today. Well, good for you. Are you going to be the adult when you're sinning and you're standing before God? Or are you going to blame everybody else? Well, my parents didn't take me to church. My spouse wouldn't go. 
That's what I'm afraid that we're going to do. And notice Asaph is saying, this was me. I did this. I did these things. I'm not confessing for others. I'm talking about me. And do you realize that your sins and my sins are committed right in front of God and to God? He sees everything. In fact, the author of Hebrews says it this way. He says in verse 13 of chapter 4, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before uh, the eyes of him. and In him, we must give an account. The early church leader, Augustine, said it this way. He is quoted as saying this. In failing to confess, Lord, I would only hide myself. I would only hide you from myself, not myself from you. I like that quote. I can't hide. I'm only hiding myself from you. There's no hiding from you. Jesus. And there is a great lesson here. We come into God's presence. We see how sinful we are. George was right. When you come into the presence of God, what did some of these famous people in the Bible say? Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Woe unto me, Isaiah cried. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King and the Lord Almighty. Notice, I am the one who's done this. Peter saw the miraculous power of Jesus, and he says this in Luke 5. He fell at Jesus' knee and says, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. One of the greatest examples to me of the progression we see in, is in the life of the Apostle Paul. The more time he spends with God, the more matured in his faith, the more he sees his sinfulness. And one of the later books that he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says it this in verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles and do not deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. You cannot tell me that that didn't stick with him all the way back in the books of Acts when he was Saul and he was standing there holding the cloaks of men who were going to stone to death the first Christian martyr, Stephen. It followed him all of his life. Sometime later, he would write this in Ephesians 3.8. Although I am less than less than least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. So we, he's saying early on, I'm the least of the apostles, least of the men who were chosen by Jesus. This amazing man of faith, I'm at the bottom, he says. But then in Ephesians, he says this, all of God's people, all of Christians, not just the apostles, I'm the worst of everyone. And in fact, he would, very end of his life, he would write this to Timothy. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? Sinners, who I am the worst. Now, I want you to understand this. 60% of what we hold in the New Testament was written by this man. And he saw himself, even in the book of Romans chapter 7, as the chief sinner. Now, some would say, well, Paul had a pretty poor self-identity crisis going on. He didn't see his self-worth. I disagree with you. Paul saw himself better than any of us are seeing ourselves. He didn't try to be pretentious towards God. He didn't try to be something that he wasn't. He was just honest and transparent. He said, look, I'm a sinner. So the last thing I want to leave you with this morning, there is hope. 
I don't want you to just leave here and say, golly, I went to church and the preacher told me I was a sinner. What a great day. I'll be back next Sunday. But notice this, what confession ultimately opens the door for. It's hope. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Shawshank was on Friday night. And I've told you there's two movies, then no matter if it's at the beginning, middle, or 10 minutes to go, I'll watch it until the end. Shawshank's one, and Hoosiers is the other one. And you can disagree on either one of those, all right? I don't care where they're at, but Shawshank was on, and it just so happened it was on for an hour and 50 minutes, so I almost got all of it, all right? And Andy just came to prison, and I watched it all the way through. And you know what Phoebe says? Oh, come on, Dad. Not again. Not Shawshank. But you know, remember what Andy says to Red? Hope, it's a very good thing, Red. Confession leads us to hope when we're walking with Christ. And, and you know, so many of us, before I say anything else, we want the hope of the Lord right now, but we're not willing to do the hard work of confession to get it. It is work. because. For a man to say, I am wrong, go back to the halo fight. For a woman to admit that she's wrong, I'm not saying which one's harder. They both are equally hard in the United States of America. <laughs> but for a person to admit that they're wrong, it's almost unheard of in our society. I mean, you teach your kids when they're young, if they take someone's toy or they do something, what do you teach them? Go and say, I'm sorry. So you're teaching your children how to say sorry. Nothing makes your, like you get the parent of the year award when your child knows they did something wrong and they go and apologize on their own. Hey. Confession leaves the door to hope. Listen to this. And this is only possible by love and grace from our Lord. Sin deserves death. It deserves separation, but that's not what Asaph got. That's not what we get either when we're in a relationship with Christ. Look at verse 23. Now notice that, that Psalm. We looked at verse 21 and 22. Now listen to what Asaph says in verse 23. Yet. That's the greatest word in this whole Psalm, in my opinion. I was a bitter person in my spirit, he says. I was a brute. I did things stupidly and ignorantly. Yet. Yet what? I'm always with you. And you hold me by my right hand. I don't know if you all have noticed, but Ridge is walking. Have you noticed this? Ridge man is walking. And I can't tell you what's been one of my favorite times in the last couple of weeks coming in. He not only waves to me, he reaches for my hand, and we take a walk, and he is holding on as tight as he can to my pinky. And that's exactly what God is doing for us. That's what we do with our children. When I was ready to pop his little 15-year-old head off, I still wanted to love him. And that's exactly what God does for us. The word yet, it says, I am guilty. I wasn't acting like I should have. I was bitter, envious, and foolish. I deserved punishment. I deserved death and separation. Yet, yet, Lord, you are still with me. I am always with you. I can even walk around without your right hand guiding me. 
And by the grace of God, we don't get this because we deserve it either. We have hope in Jesus. Remember the passage I showed you where Paul said he was the worst of sinners? But here's how the rest of the verse continues. He says this, here's a trustworthy saying, Timothy, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Verse 16, yet, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy that was shown to me. The worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. You know what he says? Being called the chief sinner is not something to be ashamed of. He gives all the glory back to God because God says, hey, in spite of your sin, (laughs) I love you. And let me show you and exercise great patience so that others can see how much I love them. Listen to me, friends. If you're struggling with this concept of confession and you feel like this weight is on you today, you have a father who is wanting to guide you by his right hand. Notice back in David's life, if I can just kind of sum all these things up, when David is called a man after God's own heart, he is being called that after he committed sin with Bathsheba after he committed adultery with her, after he had Uriah, her husband, put on the front line so he would be killed because Bathsheba became pregnant with his child. And after all the bad stuff that happened in David's life, he was reconciled to God. And nowhere else in Scripture does it say of any other person that David claims that very truth that, and, and what it says about David. He was a man after God's own heart. Listen. You might think you're hiding. You might think you put on your church clothes and put on your church face and act all Christian. But if you're anything like me, there's many times I'm not like Jesus. And it drives me crazy. In fact, here's the devil's greatest tool in confession. When you get close to confession, and laying your grievous heart before God, the devil will put thoughts in your head like this. Look, Russ, yeah, it was bad, but it's not as bad as Taylor, Luke, Fred, that sinner that lives down the road. So don't worry about it. Because here's the greatest lie that Christians tell themselves. I'm only human, and God's grace covers my sin. His grace does cover your sin, but if your heart isn't confessed and right with God, every time you think about God, every time you go to prayer, you're not going to look him face to face. You're going to have your head down. And one of the saddest things I ever heard was a Christian friend of mine. And he says this, I'm still fearful of God. And this guy is a Christ follower. And I said, why are you feel f- fearful of God? And he said, because I'm afraid that, that, that he's still going to punish me for my sins that I still commit. I said, I don't think you understand the cross. The cross was where he did that and took care of that once for all. He says, yeah, but after I accepted him as Lord and Savior, I was baptized in him. I've lived for a long time. I still feel like I'm not clean. I'm not right. And I said, do you not realize that when we read in the epistles, especially in the book of 1 John, when it says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just, and he's quick to forgive us. That's after they're Christians. Now, there's difference of confessing your sins if you're not in Christ 
versus confessing your sins if you're in Christ. And I'm talking to you that are Christians right now. You don't have to be ready for the judgment and the penalty of hell. If you're in Christ, that doesn't also give you a license to go out and sin either. You know, Paul would say it this way. Shall I go on sinning so that sin may increase? He says, by no means. I've died to sin. How can I live it any longer? Is what he tells us in Romans chapter 6. But what I want to encourage you is, is that you're a dearly and deeply loved child of God. And you may wander off the path. You may fall and bust your knee. But God's willing to be right there to pick you up and to hold you, just like Taylor did Ridge today just like I get the chance to hold Ridge. And, you know, there's a lot of responsibility when you got the worship leader's parents sitting right there and you're walking your kid around because you're just praying that he doesn't fall down and bonk his head. But what I've seen, if he fell with me, it's no different than when he falls with him. <laughs> but understand this as I wrap this sermon up. There's reasons you don't want to confess. I know what my reasons are, but I don't know what yours are, Candy. I know what my reasons are that I don't want to be transparent before God. But I don't know what yours are. But I want to assure you of this. The devil doesn't want you to lay your sins before God. You know why? Because a trapped, convicted Christian is the weakest thing on earth. Let me say that again. A trapped, convicted Christian is the weakest thing on earth. But one who's been redeemed, one who's been set apart, who's filled with the Holy Spirit of God, that scares the devil more than anything else in the world because that person is truly free. And listen, in our five-point turn here, when we're not giving up, we got to stop. we got to think. And finally, this morning, we've learned to confess. And what I want to do this morning, before we get around the communion table, I want you to spend a lot of time. we got time. We're early today. The preacher didn't say too much. You're like, I know. Is he sick? <laughs> I want you to spend some time right where you're sitting. A good couple of minutes before you go back and take communion. And, 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 don't do it because I've asked you to do it, but you know you need to. No one else needs to know. We're going to transcend space and time. It doesn't matter if you're who you're sitting by right now. Even when you got your dad here in GW, if you need to come up a row, that's fine. <laughs> but uh, spend some time with God. And let me assure you of this. He already knows. I remember the first time I broke a rule under my mom's house. And I don't want you to miss this. My best friend Barry was over, and we were going to go down and play basketball. And my mom had a Bartles and Jane wine cooler in the back of the fridge. And that sucker had been there for about three years. I don't know what happened to the other three because I came to find out as an adult they sold them in four packs. So I don't know where the other three went. Don't ask. But that thing looked, it was red, and it looked just like fruit punch Kool-Aid. 
And I can't tell you the times that Barry said, let's get in that sucker. No, my mom will kill me. No, let's get in that sucker. No, my mom will kill me. So we made tropical punch, fruit punch, Kool-Aid. And we meticulously took a razor blade all the way around that seal. Remember that gold seal on the Bartles and James? And slowly peeled that thing back and we had a great time when she was off of work. We felt like kings as ninth graders. And we put that fruit punch Kool-Aid back in it. Meticulously we put the gold thing back on top and we taped it from the inside and it was perfection. I mean, we pulled off the greatest heist in mankind. Mom got off work at five. She was home at 5.30. Barry went home at three. And by 3.05, I called my mom at work. <laughs> and I said, Mom, I drank the Bartles and Jane, but Barry made me do it. <laughs> and she said, I don't want to have another discussion. I got finished work. You stay home. Don't go anywhere. So from 3.07 until 5.30, I counted the ways my mom was going to kill me and bury me. But come to find out, at 4 o'clock, the phone rang again, and I thought, oh, I'm really dead. And it was Barry. I'm going to kill you at school tomorrow. Your mom called my mom. That feeling of knowing you betrayed and broke your mom's trust is something that I'll never forget from that day and telling it to you today. And then I think about Jesus. And I know my mama loves me. And I love my mama. But God loves me so much more than my mama. And when I break, and when I don't treat my wife the way I should, or I exasperate my children, or I betray the confidence of someone or hurt a friend of mine, feeling all over again but then there's something immediately it doesn't I don't have to sit there for two and a half hours and then I remember he holds my hand I remember that word hopefully you'll take out of the sermon today yet in spite of everything that I do wrong God deeply loves me and he loves you too What, are, what, is, what is it that's separating you and God? He already knows it. What's keeping you bitter? What's keeping you doing silly things? Acting impulsively. I'm going to pray, then leave us in time of some silent meditation. Lord, you know. Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets. Woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips. We read the words of the Apostle Paul who wrote 60% of our New Testament. That he was the chief sinner of all. Think about Moses trying to get out of God's plan and purpose for his life. He's like, hey, wait, 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 wait. how about somebody else? So, Lord, you're in this moment right now. And 
I want you just to remember what Karen told us this morning. Confession is not what we think it is. It's not for us to feel bad and to feel guilty, to feel shamed. It's allowed, it's a, it's a doorway of hope. It allows us to come into the throne room boldly and confidently because we understand that we're a child who's deeply loved by God. So in the time of silence, I just pray that your people will lay down everything and confess to the one who loves them this much.